Have you ever had a time where you got something that didn't quite meet your expectations? And I mean, not even close. Like when you order a huge burger you were tricked into buying from the constant ads, they make it look so juicy, cheesy, and scrumptious. But then you get something that's more like a hockey puck. The patties are overcooked, the cheese is a little crusty on the corners, and the lettuce, it's wilted. And don't even get me started about online dating. Have you ever been catfished before? In their pictures, they look like one thing. Beautiful, put together, perfectly quirky, husband or wifey material. Then you see them in person, and they look like they could be Picasso's muse. In life, we all have great expectations that aren't always met. That includes our marriage. Sometimes we go into marriage with such high expectations that there is no way the other person can fulfill them. What do you do when this happens? Today, let's continue in our series, Bride and Gloom, and learn how to handle our expectations. So let's have a little bit of fun right here at the start of this talk. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read a movie line, and then you're going to shout back at me what you think the movie is. Fair enough. And then you can take points, and you can go against the person sitting next to you and find out who the champion is. Make sure you play along at home. Multi-sites, you play along as well. Just feel free to shout out the answer as loud and proud. And if you're wrong, we'll just laugh at you, all right? That's just the way that'll be. These won't be hard by any stretch of the imagination. Here's the first one. I see dead people. Yeah, it's the sixth sense. Very good. How about this one? I'll be back. The Terminator. Some of you are two for two. Ready for this one? Squirrel. Oh, nicely done. There's some Disney fans out there. How about this one? I volunteer as tribute. Hunger Games. I heard a young voice over there. Very nicely done. How about this one? I'm the king of the world. Titanic. How you doing so far? How about this one? I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Sinner, sinner, chicken dinner. You know that one. All right. The Godfather. Life is like a box of chocolates. Forrest Gump. You guys are so smart when it comes to movies. I'm going to do this with scripture in just a second. <laughs> How about this one? Wakanda forever. Black Panther. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Finding Nemo. We're not in Kansas anymore. Wizard of Oz. May the force be with you. Star Wars, nobody puts baby in a corner. Yeah, sinner, sinner, chicken dinner again, all right? If you build it, he will come. Field of dreams. And last one, I love you 3,000. Endgame, Avengers, endgame. What a great line that was. Well, today I was putting this together. And I came across a line that I know all of you know, so we're going to flip-flop it this time. This time I'm going to tell you what the movie is, and then you're going to tell me what the line is, and we're all going to say it together, all right? Now, the movie is that stupid Jerry Maguire movie that is set up as a sports movie, but it's nothing more than a chick flick, and I've never been more robbed in my entire life when I saw that silly movie. 
So you know the Tom Cruise character. He goes throughout the entire movie. He's trying to figure out what's going to fulfill him, satisfy him. And so he tries money, and he tries fame, and he tries power. And at the end of the movie, he finally realizes that what he really needs in his life is the Renee Zellweger character. And so he comes to her in the midst of this little women's group that she's got going on in the room. And he says three words that, from what I understand on most websites, are the three most romantic words ever spoken in motion picture history. Those three words are, are you ready? One, two, three. Wow, that was sad. Are you awake? What's going on? Let's try to say it in unison. Ready? Okay, when I point to you, you say the first word and the second. Now, let's, this is the climax of the movie. This is, this is the moment that all the ladies who have watched this movie have been waiting for, for this moment. I need emotion. I need feeling. I need to know that what you're saying, you believe with every fiber of your being. So say it with me. Here we go. Thank you so much. That is probably the nicest thing that anybody's ever said to me before. And I just want you to know it means the world to me that you would think... And what happens after this climactic scene? The movie ends, thankfully. That's what happens after she says that. Yeah, he says that to her. And, and, and you kind of leave with the idea of maybe she did. Maybe she did complete him. But if you're married, you know, no, that's not true. That's not true. No, no, nobody completes the other person. But how many young couples, how many weddings have you been to? And you just see it in their eyes, don't you? They honestly believe that the other person is somehow going to complete them. And that's just such a farce, isn't it? There are so many people who go into marriage with such a high expectation that there's no way that someone can meet that expectation. So today we're going to look at a story in the book of Genesis. Now you say to yourself, Todd, is there any way possible that you could eke out a seventh sermon in a row on Adam and Eve? And the answer is no. We are moving on to Jacob. And why are you clapping? That's not nice. I like those six sermons. We're moving on to a man who married two sisters. I've got all the men's attention right now. That's what I'm... I'm going to listen like I've never listened before. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And if you're right now sitting on the edge of your seat because I said that, you are sick and wrong. That's all I want to say about that, all right? This man named Jacob marries two sisters, and the Bible describes what the two sisters look like. This is what it says. It says, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Now, this doesn't sound too good for Leah, does it? There's something wrong with her eyes. We don't know what's wrong with her eyes. She's got weak eyes. We don't know if she's partially blind, she's fully blind, she's nearsighted, she's farsighted, she's cross-eyed. We don't know what is wrong with Leah, but what we do know is that Jacob has fallen in love with Rachel because she's beautiful and her eyes go the direction they're supposed to go, all right? Here's what happens. Jacob goes to this distant land. He's working for a man by the name of Laban, and he makes a deal to marry Rachel, the younger daughter. Here's what the Bible says. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said to Laban, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban agreed. 
So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Do you remember how quickly time passed when you were dating? It just went by so quickly. And for Jacob, he says, oh, that's seven years. It just seemed like a day. Our love was so strong. It just flew by. Well, during those seven years, Laban begins to realize he's got himself a little bit of a problem. In that culture, you didn't marry off the younger daughter before you married off the older daughter. But here's the problem. There's no suitors for her. Nobody's coming around. Nobody wants to spend the rest of their life with this girl. So Laban hatches a plan. And so he has Jacob marry Leah. Now, Jacob doesn't know that this is going to happen. And you got to ask yourself the question, how's it possible for a man to marry the wrong woman? I don't know. Maybe it was dark. Maybe there was a veil. Maybe they had sunglasses over her eyes. I, I don't know what was happening there. Maybe he was drunk. But when he woke up the next morning, he woke up and rolled over and Leah was there rather than Rachel. And of course, he was very upset with that. And he went to Laban and said, listen, something's got to be done about this right here and now. I'm supposed to be marrying your younger daughter. And so he says, for another seven years, if you go another seven years, you can marry Rachel and you can have her at the beginning of that seven-year period. So Jacob was fooled. He thought he was marrying Rachel and he ended up marrying Leah. Now, this is what dating is like, right? You think you're dating Rachel, and you wake up one day with Leah. That's the way it works. It's an illusion, friends. Dating is an illusion. So I got Eli coming out to help us with understanding what an illusion looks like, because some of you don't understand an illusion. So when we're dating, everything's an illusion. Everything looks better than it really does. And so a lot of you, when you're dating, you look like a $50 bill, and Eli is going to magically transform this $50 bill into a $1 bill. Get closer, get closer, get closer, get closer. I want him to see really good. This is amazing. Okay, here we go. Got a 50. He's thinking it through. He's folding it up. Can he transform it? That's, that's, that's dating right there in a nutshell, right? You appear to be a 50, but you're nothing more than a one. Would you like to see him transform it from a one to a 50? Would you like to see that? All right, let's go back the other way. Let's go, let's go back the other way. Here we go. Got a, got a one. Yeah, don't forget the finger trickle. That's, that's good. That's, it's all about that. Now, some of you right now are sitting back going, Eli is demon-possessed. That's what's happening right now. Because how in the world could somebody transform a 50 into a 1? My question to you is, how do you transform in your dating relationship? Let's give Eli a round of applause for all he just did there. We appreciate that, Eli, so very much. You know dating's such a joke. You know that, right? You're putting your best foot forward. You look better than you've ever looked before in your life. You're spending money like it's going out of style. And then you get married, and that's, a, that's kind of a joke too, isn't it? Because he's up there standing next to me. The groom's always standing next to me. And, and they open up the doors, and, and here's this beautiful woman. She's never looked this good before in her life. And she will never look this good ever again. That's just the way that it is. 
I mean, they, they've had three weeks worth of beauty treatments just to get her ready for this one moment in time. And we all stand up. Why do we show up to the wedding? We don't show up to see the groom. He looks the same he's always looked. We show up to see the bride. We want to see the pinnacle of how good this girl can look because we know. We know this is it's never going to be this good ever again. We know. There's only one person in the room that doesn't know. It's the groom. He looks back there and he's thinking, she's going to do this for me every single day. No, she's not. She's not going to do that at all. She's going to tell you that right now. I'd like to fast forward this about six months in the married relationship, wouldn't you? Because there they are at the breakfast table. He's got the same T-shirt on that he's worn for the last three days. He stinks to high heaven. His hair is sticking out over here and sticking out over there. He's got morning breath. She's braiding the hair on her legs. That's what she's doing right now. Looks like she's decomposed overnight. You know what I'm talking about? Looks like she's gotten into a cat fight. Her hair's going a million different directions. And they begin to wonder, don't they? They begin to wonder, did I marry the right person? Is this the person I'm supposed to spend the rest of my life with? Because you have these expectations of how you think it's going to be. And then reality begins to hit you. And during dating, you, you, you just were so attentive to each other. You were so focused on the other person. You, you just couldn't get enough of them, couldn't you? you? You were attentive to all of their needs. I still remember this. It was uh, 24 years, six months, six days, four hours, and 13 seconds ago. I was, I was at a softball game. I used to play softball, a lot of softball. And uh, we were playing for Hoffmantown West. I don't know if you know this or not. That was the name of our church when we first started out. And uh, we were a mission church. For those of you who are new to Sage Rush, we were a mission church from Hoffmantown Church on the other side of town. And these were the guys. We were playing against Hoffmantown Church, and these were the guys that I wanted to beat really badly. And the reason I wanted to beat them so bad was, one, they were my friends, and two, they wouldn't come with me to start the church. And so that kind of ticked me off, kind of made me mad. I mean, we're still friends, and not a problem at all, but I wanted to beat them down like they'd never been beaten before. So I played in the softball game, and I played like I've never played a softball game in my entire life. I hit three home runs in this game. I hit two over the fence, and I had one inside the park home run. And if you know how shot my knees are, you would know what a miracle from God it was that I was able to run around the bases and from inside the parker. I mean, I played my brains out on that particular game. Well, the game's over, and I walk over to where my wife is. Now, my wife, when we dated, she went to all my softball games. She watched every swing, every pitch, every inning, everything that was going on. So I walked over to her, and I said, what did you think? What did you think about my performance tonight? She said, did you win? <laughs> I said, no, we lost. But I did hit three home runs. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. She said, yeah, I was talking to Amy. I guess I missed it. Missed it? That'd be like Moses' wife missing the parting of the Red Sea. Do you understand? Like Daniel's wife missing when he raises triumphantly from the lion's den. It'd be like Peter's wife not being there when he walked on the water. Of course, she wasn't there. I'm just going off right now. That's all I'm doing. Dating's a joke. You understand that, right? Dating's fake. And while you're dating, you have all these differences with each other, right? Yeah. And, and these things are what attract you to the other person. You know, you've heard all heard, opposites attract. And then after you're married, opposites attack. That's the way that works. I bet you anything, one of you is a morning person, one of you is a night person, and it drives you crazy now, doesn't it? 
One of you is organized, the other one's a pig. That's what you are. You're just a slob. That's what you are. Uh, one of you is an extrovert, the other one of you is an introvert, and each of your personalities drive the other person crazy. So you get married and you say, you know, I, I know they're not perfect. Guess what you say about your spouse? But I'll change this about her. Or I'll change this about him. And you can almost hear the announcer in the distance say, let's get ready to rumble. Because that's, that's what's coming, isn't it? Do you think Leah was in on this when she married Jacob? Because I think she was. I think she thought this would work out for her. I think she had high expectations. She thought that she could win his heart. She could win his love. And so what did she do? She, she compromised. She compromised for someone who really didn't love her, who didn't really want to marry her. He wanted to marry Rachel. But she thought somehow, some way, she could make it right. And I just wonder how many people are desperate today. And you're single and you're getting older and the older you get, the more you're wondering, is this ever going to happen for you? And so you begin to start lowering the bar a little bit and you begin to go out with a lower than what you are hoping for. And I don't want you to end up in the misery that Leah ends up in. Because once Jacob marries Rachel, you know what the first thing she realizes is that she doesn't have his heart. And is there anything more harsh in a married situation to know you don't have your spouse's heart? That their heart is someplace else? See, some of you are here today, some of you are watching at home, you're very frustrated with your marriage because you know their heart's not with you. Their heart's on the golf course. That's where they'd rather be. Their heart's in the video games. Their heart's on their phone. Scrolling through their phone and ticky-tocky and an Instagram and playing games. And every time you talk, you've got to repeat yourself because it's you versus the phone. Their heart's with their hobby. Their heart's with the girls. Their heart's with something else. So Leah's trying to figure out a way. She's like, how do, how do I win his heart? He doesn't love me like he loves my sister. I, I need to do something about this. So you know what her game plan was? She said, I'll get pregnant. How many marriages do you know that are struggling and they think the answer, one of them does, that they should get pregnant? Now, no doubt, there have been times when a marriage is struggling and they get pregnant and they give birth to a son or a daughter and it does bring the two of them close. It sobers them up. They kind of grow up. They start living more selflessly. They start putting the needs of the other person first. They realize, hey, there's another person's life involved here. We got to step up our game, you know? But that's rare. Generally, when you bring a child into the equation, it just magnifies the issues that are already there. And now you've got a child that's growing up in the midst of that dysfunction. Many times, having a child isn't the answer to fix a bad relationship at all. But that's what Leah thinks, so she gets pregnant. Now, Dave Stone points out that the first child they had together, they named Reuben. You know what that name Reuben means? It means God has seen my misery. How would you like that to be your name? Hey, miserable, get over here. That's what I want to see you. Second child's name was Simeon. The Lord heard that I was not loved. The third child's name was Levi, which means attached. She's now more attached to her children than she is to her husband. That's not good. 
Now, something dramatic happens for Leah between child number three and child number four. And honestly, we don't know what it is. We don't know what the defining moment is. But when she gives birth to the fourth child, a boy by the name of Judah, his name means praise. I will praise the name of the Lord. What is she saying here when she names the fourth child Judah? She's saying, I'm no longer going to look for my husband to complete me. And I'm no longer going to look for my children to complete me. The only one that can complete me, the only one that can fill the emptiness that's inside my heart, inside my soul, is God Almighty. So I will praise his name, and I will put my focus on him. I will put my attention on him. I'll put all my strength, all my, all my everything. I will lay everything down for the King of kings and for the Lord of lords. Friends, if you want to have a, a marriage that is transforming, there's four keys you got to do. Number one is this. you got to rely on God. See, what's happening is, is that many marriages are a little disappointed in, in what they've got there. And your focus is on the other person, what they need to do. So you spend most of your time pointing out their flaws and pointing out their failures while you ignore your own. Can I let you know a little secret that's not much of a secret at all? You can't change anybody else. You can't nag somebody enough to get them to change. They have to change because they want to change. Only person you can change is yourself. And so I've, I've talked to couples who are just struggling and they're like, well, she does this and he does this. And all they're focused on is the, you know, the, the, the deficiencies of the other person. And I say, what about you? What are you bringing to this? Are you giving your best to this relationship? Well, they're, they're not giving their best. Well, I don't care about what they're doing. Because when you walked down that aisle, when you stood at the very front and you said vows to each other, it wasn't about, you know, what depending upon how they acted. These were vows. These were commitments. This was a dedication of who you are and who you are going to be in this married relationship regardless of what they brought to the table. Too many messed up Couples are so focused on what's wrong in their spouse that they completely ignore what's wrong in them. And you can't fix your spouse. You can only fix you. So I talk to couples and I say, listen, this is what you got to do. You got to focus on the fruit of the Spirit. You got to develop the fruit of the Spirit. And I've talked to a lot of men and I've talked to a lot of ladies. You need to have the fruit of the Spirit flowing through your life. You need to ask God to develop the fruits of the Spirit in your life. You say, what are these fruits of the Spirit? Well, the Bible tells us what they are. They're love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. When you want to be moody and you're constantly complaining, no, the fruit of the Spirit says, I will be filled with joy that comes from the Spirit of God. Can't control the situation, can't control the circumstance, but I can control the attitude that I bring to it. So rather than being filled with anxiety and stress over your married relationship, you have this peace that passes all understanding. Because you've allowed God to develop that within you. So that becomes your mode of operandum. So when stressful times and anxious times come, and they come all the time, you don't respond in the same way that somebody else responds because you've surrendered your life to the conviction and the power and the guidance of God's Holy Spirit. And so you say, God, give me your peace that passes all understanding in the midst of the storm. 
Listen, when the other person's mad, when the other person's saying mean things, you don't have to respond in kind. You can allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you, and you can say things that are kind, things that are good. See, we're so focused on what's wrong with the other person that we should be focusing on our response and our attitude. We spend so much time griping and complaining rather than developing the fruits of the Spirit that God wants us to have in an abundance. These are the things that Jesus had. And can you imagine if every day you brought to your relationship love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Can you imagine how that might transform your spouse? Because no matter what they throw at you, you just keep giving these things back to them again and again and again. And eventually, you'll break through even the hardest of hearts. Now, if you're married uh, and both of you are Christians, why aren't you invoking God and relying upon him in your relationship? So many married couples that go to church once every four to six weeks, they never read the Bible together. And they never pray together. And they never talk about spiritual things together. Here here we are, spiritual people, right? And God's brought two of us together. It's not just physically, but spiritually as well. And yet we don't lean on him. We don't invoke him into our relationship. At some point in time, we got to stop the insanity because he's the one who develops love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So rely upon the Lord. You'll be amazed at what he'll do in your life. And the second one is this. Place your faith in God that things can change. See, right now when I said all that, you're like, oh, my marriage is too far gone. And you might be feeling that your marriage is absolutely hopeless. I just want you to know that God doesn't think that. Matthew chapter 19. Jesus said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but with God everything is possible. So when your situation looks impossible, realize that you have a God who does the the impossible and makes it possible every day. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is in Mark chapter 9. And there's a guy who brings his son who's just all messed up, demon-possessed, all these terrible things. And and they can't do anything for him. And so Jesus comes and he says, what in the world's going on? And, And there's this conversation that takes place. And Jesus asks the question of the boy's father. He says, how long has he been like this? He answered from childhood. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus said, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. And then look at the honesty here. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. What did he do? What did the dad do? He brought his situation to Jesus. What if you brought your marriage to Jesus? What if you surrendered your life to Jesus? What if you said, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to be the man. Help me to be the woman. Help me to be the wife. Help me to be the husband that you have called me to be. I mean, I get it. From a human standpoint, it looks impossible, right? But God can handle that. Put it in his hands and watch him do exceedingly abundantly more than anything you've dreamed or imagined. Have you truly surrendered yourself to him? Have you truly surrendered your marriage to him? You want God's blessing, but you hold it back as if he has no say in it. Like he's not even a part of it. No wonder so many marriages are struggling. They have, they're, they're called uh, Christian marriages only in name, but not in practice. Let me give you the third one. Commit to doing whatever it takes. 
Galatians 6, 9, don't get tired and doing what's good. Don't get discouraged and don't give up. Can I tell you about my marriage with my wife of 29 years? It didn't happen overnight. I mean, we, we're, I love my wife so much more today than I did the day we stood before our family and friends and before God and said, I do. I mean, we have a marriage that has been tried by fire and heartache and pain, and we're closer together today than we've ever been before. How'd that happen? We kept showing up. We kept giving our best. And, and I'm not just going to tell you, we had days where we didn't. We had days where we did damage to each other, where we wounded the other person. We fought for our relationship. We fought for reconciliation. We, we fought to get back on the same page and to move forward as a result. Some of you are sitting here going, oh, we're just too far gone. It's just, we're all, oh, man, we're just too messed up. No, you're not. We serve a God who can part seas. We serve a God who can shut the mouths of lions. We serve a God who can, who made all the heavens and all the earth. Are you seriously thinking he can't fix your marriage? You say, what should I do? Here's what I think you should do. If you've lost that loving feeling, oh, it's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, 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 whoa. Here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework assignment. You choose to accept it. Fake it till you make it. Just fake it. Just keep doing the things you know you should be doing. You keep praying. You keep obeying. You keep showing up. You keep giving your best day after day after day. You keep faking it till you make it. Eventually, you won't be faking it anymore. But you'll fall back in love with that person because you're doing the things that God has commanded you to do for them. Let me give you one more. Forgive your spouse. This is going to come up all through this series, and this is such a huge relationship principle. Stop holding on to your hurts and let them go. You got to learn to forgive quickly. You got to place your hurts at the foot of the cross. You say, My spouse doesn't deserve forgiveness. Well, neither did you. You say, I'll forgive after my spouse has suffered a little bit. Aren't you glad God didn't treat you that way? You say, I'll forgive this time, but it better not happen again. You want God to do that to you? You scream, I can't do this. Well, you're right. You can't. And I can't either. But he can. See, some of you are here today, and the reason your marriage is so jacked up and why it's not what you hoped it would be is because you've never really taken seriously your relationship with the Lord. You don't seek his face, and you don't call on his name, and you don't live your life for him. You put your hour of obligation in, and then you go off, and you live the way you want to, and you treat your spouse terribly, and you're mad at them, and they're not meeting your needs, and all the focus is on them rather than on what God wants to do in you. And some of us are here today, and you don't even have a relationship with Jesus. You're just trying to testing out these spiritual waters. Can I tell you something? Everything that I've talked about today, not one of these things can you do in your own strength. You can't pull this off. You can't love your spouse the way Jesus wants your spouse to be loved. You just can't do it. You can't have peace apart from Jesus. You can't have joy apart from Jesus. You just can't pull this off. And so my question to you is, is at what point in time do we sober up and start taking this stuff seriously? 
I mean, at what point in time do you start praying with your spouse? At what point in time do you start talking about spiritual things? At what point in time do you start taking church more seriously? You start showing up to this place a little more often. You get yourself in a small group and you place Jesus Christ as the centerpiece of your relationship. He's the one who came up with this. He's the one who gave away the first bride. He's the one who performed the first wedding ceremony. He's the one who came up with marriage. So he's the one that can fix your marriage as well. Now, some of you are struggling really bad, and you need some more tools in your toolbox. I get that. And we offer a ministry called Reengage, and we have had tremendous success with our Reengage ministry. And in a minute, when I tell you about you know, texting us in and all that kind of stuff, you can text us in the words re-engage and say, I'm interested in this. I'd like to know more about it. There's even a banner on the app. If you open the app up and just swipe through the banners at the top, you'll see re-engage. Just click on it. We have literally seen hundreds, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of couples that when they understand their role in marriage and they start to focus on their individual issues... The two of them come back together again stronger than ever before. But friends, listen to me. We could even send you to re-engage. But if you don't have a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ, that's not going to work either. It all begins with him. So what are you doing with Jesus? Do you love him? Do you walk with him? Do you talk with him? Do you do life together with him? Because I'm telling you right now, you can't fix it. But he can fix it. When you surrender your will to his will, he can do exceedingly abundantly more than anything you've ever dreamed or ever imagined. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for folks who are just struggling. And not just in their marriages. They're just struggling in life. And they're trying to figure this stuff out. And they're trying to do it in their own wisdom and in their own power. And they just keep falling down. And they just keep coming up short. And and they're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And they're here today. They're watching from home because they're kind of interested in what this is all about. Lord, I pray that they would dive into your love and dive into your forgiveness. Lord, that they would surrender everything they are and everything they hope to be over to you. Lord, we'll never be the people that you want us to be apart from you. We just can't do it. And that makes sense because you're the one who made us. And you made us for a purpose and for a reason. And you have a plan for our life. You have a plan for our marriage. You have a plan for our career. You have a plan in the day-to-day. And it's amazing to me that you, the God of the universe, care about our mundane life, that you want to enter into it and lead us and guide us. So I pray, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day when many people would say, you know what? Before I can fix anything in my life, I've got to fix my relationship with you. And I pray that they would do that in this moment in time. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.